0: Welcome back to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. Back at the end of February, we had the Our City Toronto Conference at Christian Centre Church uh, in Toronto. And one of our plenary speakers was Shalene Phillips. She was uh, giving a plenary session and we were fortunate enough to get a recording of it and to present it to you here today. This is Shalene Phillips and her session entitled, Bring Back the Village.
1: Good morning, everyone. Truthfully, I'm really from a Pentecostal background, so praise the Lord, everybody. All right. I do give uh, thanks, firstly, to the Lord for the opportunity that I have to to be here. Uh, There are so many people who went to bed last night and did not have the opportunity of seeing the sunrise today. There are many things that we tend to take for granted. And unfortunately, a very simple yet extremely uh, important thing as, as waking up is among those things. And so that is the first thing, thank you, that I want to give God thanks for this morning. I thank him for you. It is wonderful to be in the presence of my brothers and sisters. And even if you do not know Christ, you are still my brother and my sister in Christ, amen. Amen. Thank you for inviting me to be here to speak with you uh, briefly uh, during this um, very important time that we are going through, the celebration of many different things, but also focusing on the various issues that we are having. I will admit that in preparing for this event, I had a lot of struggles because A lot of different things kept on popping up, Uh, particularly there are two youths, uh, two of them who are friends of my son, one of them particularly close to him, who unfortunately took their lives in the last three weeks. So it has, and the two children do not know each other, so these are two totally separate events. They're from two different worlds. Uh, Both of them very beautiful boys, they're brilliant, they're polite. Everything that a parent could ever want in a child. And so it has left us with a lot of confusion, a lot of questions. Why? And so it has caused me, I originally was going to speak on something else, but. Uh, Given what we have had to deal with over the last couple of weeks, I prayed and I said, Lord, you've got to settle my mind someplace. And this is what I want to talk to us about today. The title of my topic, my topic to, to you today is Bring Back the Village. Bring Back the Village. There is a lie that has been and continues to be propagated, especially in Western society, a lie that has been seeping through the foundation of true family values, the wall of morality, the frame of ethics, the roof of strong relationships and the gates of our communities. This lie has been actively changing the landscape and the outlook of the future for this generation and generations to come. While we seek to level the playing fields in the economy, in the workplace, education, healthcare, and not to mention the justice system, this lie presents itself as truth. The digital age in which we live gives it an advantage because it is easier to spread it in more places and with, well, less effort. This lie has people, both old and young, placing their priorities in all the wrong places. And to the extent that we are taking for granted some of the liberties that our foreparents fought for us to have. In a sense, we are reversing some of the freedoms we were born into by subscribing to this lie. The main objective of this lie is to place us back into some sort of captivity. See, when we think of captivity, sometimes we think of physical captivity, but one of the worst types of captivity is that which takes place in your mind. In our minds, That is where we want, this lie wants to hold us captive. It wants to hold us captive in the judicial systems. It wants to make us slaves to trends and culture. So you're not thinking for yourself, you're just doing what everybody else is doing. It wants to make us prisoners of other people's opinions. Puppets on society's strings and servants to the almighty dollar. This lie has convinced much of us to give up our true passion in exchange for becoming passionate about the so-called promises that this lie offers. It has brothers turning against brothers, sisters competing against one another, children raising themselves, and parents crying in frustration. It has churches with retention issues as young people leave the pews and the seats are left empty while the correctional facilities seem to be running low on room. It has convinced even the most intelligent among us that crime actually pays and that we are accountable, we are not accountable for the lives of the people who we impact, unless we get caught. That's the only time you're accountable. Suicide, especially among our youth, has heightened and the dropout rates for secondary school has increased and continues to increase. A very alarming statistic that I looked into concerning suicide rates is that it has doubled in the last two years. That is dreadful. It makes you wonder, what is happening? This lie has more of our young women increasing their online ratings by decreasing their self-value and becoming too blind to make the distinction that they're not the same. It has persuaded many of our young men that denouncing formal education is a step in the right direction and that stepping back to reflect on their decisions is 2 steps backwards. So act first, maybe think about it later. This lie has undermined the value of stewardship and it mocks the message of morality. It promotes selfishness and ego, competition and strife, division and disloyalty, pride and arrogance, infamy and dishonor, cowardice and spinelessness, (coughs) idolatry and blasphemy. The creation account tells us that we were made in the image and the likeness of Almighty God. And this lie tries to persuade us that this means that we are mini-gods. That's what it means to be made in the likeness. That is what this lie is propagating. And what is the danger in that you ask? Well, to put it simply and to put it briefly, God is not accountable to anyone for anything that he does. He makes his decisions and he answers to no one. So if we see ourselves as a type of God, then we see ourselves as not being accountable to anyone for anything for our actions. And that is unfortunately the way that some of us are conducting ourselves in this society, like we are not accountable. I am free to do whatever I want to do. It's all about me. And we think about our own happiness, but not that it comes at the expense of someone else's. That is what this lie is propagating. That is the danger in seeing ourselves as mini-gods. But the truth is we are answerable not only to God, but also to each other. There is something called accountability, and it is everywhere. You're accountable in the home to your spouses. Your children are accountable to you. You are accountable to them in the workplace. You are accountable to your supervisor if you are the supervisor. You are still accountable to those who you are supervising. So accountability is not something that we can eradicate and still function properly. This lie, while it tells us that we're not answerable to anybody, because we're made in the likeness and image of God, also encourages us to move towards selfishness. And the common theme in today's society, the common trend is do you, do what makes you happy. Whatever you feel like doing, But the truth is that to be made in the likeness of God simply means that we are structured like Him in the sense that He is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We are body, soul, and spirit. In addition, He endowed us with some of the powers He has. The Word of God tells us that in the beginning, God said, let there be, and there was. He spoke things into being. And he has given us that same power. The Word of God says that the power of life and death is in the tongue, which is why we have to be careful of what we speak into the lives of each other. That is why you must never look at a child and tell that child that he or she is worthless never tell another person something that you would never want for yourself because eventually that word is going to take on form because there's the power of life and death in the tongue so we should not be trivial with the words that we speak we have to be responsible with the words that leave our mouths and even in your own life if you tell yourself I am a loser and I'm not going to make it. Well, that's precisely what's going to happen. There are times when you might feel that way, but you have to talk yourself out of it and tell yourself, I was born to be victorious. I was born to climb over things like these. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I will because God says, I am victorious. God said, let there be, and he was, and and it was, and he tells us that the power of life and death is in the tongue, which means that our words can affect change. He designed man to have a relationship with him, which means that God is a social being, and therefore we are social beings too. He said that it is not good for humans to be alone, and therefore, created not only companionship, so a husband for the wife, Eve for Adam, but he created community. He is the author of community. He is the author of relationships. And the purpose of community is multifaceted with the most important role of all being to raise our children. When the disciples were fussing over Who is the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus allowed them to fuss a bit, and they argued back and forth. And then finally they took the matter to Jesus and they they asked him. Maybe they made a bet amongst themselves. I'm pretty sure he's gonna say it's me because I'm good at this and I'm good at that. Well, I'm pretty sure it's gonna be me because I preach the best. No, it's gonna be me. So eventually they went to him and they asked him, Who's the greatest? And he gave them an answer I'm sure they did not expect. Call the child. And he said, unless you become like one of these little ones, you're not even in the running to become great. You have to become as a child. Why a child? Because children can be molded. Children can be formed, they can be fashioned. Children are submissive to those who are over them and the person who we need to be submissive to is the Almighty God. And if you notice the attitude of children, they'll fight over something this minute and say, I'm, not, I'm never speaking to you again. And in five minutes, they're out there playing. It's almost as though nothing ever happened. But with us adults, some of us are hanging on to stuff from 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And the person who offended us is probably even dead. They're gone. We're still hanging on to it. And so that is what Christ was saying to the disciples that you have to become like one of these little ones who don't hold on to anything. They can form, they can be fashioned. And so therefore, I believe firmly that the most important role of community is to assist with the raising of our children. The saying, it takes a village to raise a child, is an old African proverb, and its message is reflective of God's intention for community. It simply means that it takes many people, the village, to provide a safe and healthy environment for children, where children are given the security that they need to develop and to flourish, and to be able to realize their hopes and dreams. So it's not just limited to mom and dad, but every person who comes in contact with that child should be helping that child to progress, to develop, to form, and to flourish. Now this requires an environment where children's voices are taken seriously and where multiple people, the villagers, including parents, siblings, and so on, neighbors, school, church, in our case, community centers as well, and policy makers care for the child. All these villagers may provide direct care to the children and or support the parents who are looking after Their children. Now when I think of Toronto, I ask myself if this is what I see and if so how much of that do I see? And sadly it is very disengaged. There are many issues that we have in being that village and this is where the lie comes in. Because of The lie, the village in this country and many others I'm sure, is dissipated and fragmented and individuals are increasingly becoming more isolated, keeping to themselves, not eager to ask for help or to even provide help to others. This lie has contributed strongly to family breakdown economic pressures, and families feeling less connected to extended family members and others around them. The truth is that even though parents may be a child's primary caregiver, a family does not exist in a vacuum. Social connectedness is a part of our divine design and has been defined as those subjective psychological bonds that people experience in relation to others. Others, including, excuse me, friends. For example, a sense of belonging and a sense of feeling cared for. That is social connectedness. We often recite it as a slogan, God is love, and indeed he is. So to be made in the image of God, imagio dei, means that at the very core of our being, and at the very center of our existence is the need to love yes. and be loved. Right. I don't care how cranky you are when you get yeah. up in the morning. Yeah. I don't care how miserably you behave throughout the daytime telling people to leave you alone. At the very heart of who you are is the desire to be loved. Yes. Yeah. Amen. Social connectedness also includes objective measures such as the frequency of social participation, so getting together for church, or even just for other social activities, and also marital status. And there is evidence that strong and positive social connections are linked to positive mental health and well-being. Surprise! And especially in times of stress or trauma, We particularly need each other. Social connectedness is one way of describing the members of the village and the need for families to have multiple supports. And this is because overcoming adversity occurs in a social context that extends beyond individual and family levels. The village concept implies a need to identify and remedy exclusion who is being left out, and why are they being left out? How can we pull them in? And so on that basis, it seeks to promote access to essential services for individuals and their families, and challenges these societal attitudes and media represent misrepresentations. The lie denies that families need different forms of connections formal and informal, from the individual level to the policy and government level. And this is so that it will address the upstream causes of exclusion and disadvantage, including adverse childhood experiences and poverty. In previous years, as the lies spread, its message was simply that the church is not part of that village. We don't need the church to be a part of that village. And therefore, it has no relevance. And some of us bought into that lie and we watched as churches were removed from neighborhoods as they took God out of the school and locked him out of public affairs. In its onslaught on the village, the lie proposed that family dynamics were not a crucial part of our children's development and more children have been left without fathers or there are more mothers struggling to make ends meet, notwithstanding the single fathers who are also experiencing the same. Some of us bought into the idea that school is sufficient, but the lie also infiltrated the school system, using the school as a place to foster bullying, discrimination, identity crisis, and a war zone for our children. Your child goes to school and is shot by someone in a school. The lie has convinced some of us that we do not need each other, that autonomy is the way to go, and as a result, we eventually phased out the village and belief in the God who gave it to us. The life thrives on the confusion, the doubts, the fears, the weaknesses, naivety, and the innocence of our youth. It also thrives on the misery, the woe, and the energy of the parents and other adults. We often say that we are fighting for justice, but even the true meaning of justice has been warped by this lie, amounting to justice being whatever we deem it to be. That is not a social extension of God's love. That it is not work in protecting and defending those who cannot defend themselves. That the weak, fatherless, afflicted, and destitute are not the people God's justice requires us to look out for or to defend, but those who are from within our social circles, those who agree with our perspectives, that those who do not support our views are hateful, even stupid, that those who do not agree with our opinions come for nothing and they are not to be defended no matter what their issue is. It suggests that justice is only for those who we feel are deserving while having us ignore God's undeserved mercy that is renewed to us daily. So who are we to say what one person deserves or not? The light plants the idea that true happiness and security are locked up in things in money, beauty, intelligence, fame, status, possessions, power, influence, and the freedom to do whatever you want. And that once we acquire all of those things, we will be fulfilled and we will see that the village was truly unnecessary. That this God of whom we speak is not real and we don't need the help of some mythical being, and that there is no unseen adversary, that the true enemies that we have are indeed each other. But the word of God tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities. We wrestle against powers, against rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. It tells us that even if this God does exist, well, he doesn't care. And he's punitive. He's just waiting for you to screw up so he can punish you. This lie has persuaded many in this generation to verbally assert that we do not care what anyone thinks about us while in reality, our actions, the language we use, the clothes we wear, the choices we make, seek the approval. Of others, that we must strive to please ourselves and each other and in doing so we must legitimize deviant behavior and call it political correctiveness. The lie advocates the theory of tolerance. Now you might disagree with me on this and that's perfectly alright if you disagree. I understand. But I have an issue with the theory of tolerance. Because, to me, again, to me, tolerance is just a way of saying I can't stand what makes you, you. But since I can't do anything about it and still remain an upstanding citizen, I'm going to put up with you anyways. The deception of tolerance is that it is telling us we no longer need to make effort to truly love and accept each other with our differences. Why try to love when you can simply tolerate? It's like a cheap ad from the 70s. Why try to live together in actual peace and harmony when we can just pretend? Pretense is, is good enough. If it means that there's no conflict, if it means that no feelings are hurt, then that's good enough. As a result of this lie, we treat tolerance as though it's an alternative to those things. But nothing can ever be an alternative to love. Love is what it is, and nothing can take the place of it. We need to understand that while love is tolerant, tolerance is not love. The gospel of tolerance says to be patient and to be kind, but those qualities are found only in love, in its true meaning. It is love that is patient, it is love that is kind. And so in the absence of love, what appears to be peace, patience, and kindness are just pretenses. Because underneath it all, you know you can't stand me. But if you just smile enough and convince me that that's not the case, then that's enough. But what we need to remember is that there's a God who sees inside our heart. He knows the hidden things. And the Word of God tells us that the hidden things, the things that are in the dark, will be brought to light. So you can fool some of the people some of the time and maybe even all of the time, but we can fool God none of the time. The lie says that those things come from within us, but love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, joy, self-control, and perseverance. What are those? I I, I just heard somebody whisper, what are those things? Shut it up. Go ahead and shut it Thank you. They are fruits of the spirit. Which spirit? God's spirit. God's spirit. So then, if we are not connected to God, where should the fruits come from? What did Jesus say about the vine and the fruits? He said, I am the true vine. You are the branches. But this lie is telling us that we are individual trees bearing our own fruit. But that is not what God says. Christ said, he is the vine, he is the tree, we are the branches, and any branch in me that does not bear fruit He's gonna cut it down. So we need to start bearing those fruits before the gardener comes around and starts doing some pruning. I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be disconnected, I don't wanna be cut off. Knowing this, the deception has extended to the redefinition of love, that love can be whatever we want it to be, but love redefined is love removed. It's not love anymore, it's something else, but it's not love. On the surface, tolerance may seem like a good thing with merited social benefits, because it moves us to acknowledge that we have biases. But the changes, It promotes our superficial. It does not and cannot impact inward change because only one thing can do that. It's a conversation with God. Instead, it is limited to outward behavior. What we say and what we do when other people are watching. Because when nobody's watching, those biases do come out because there's nobody to account Give an account to solely we think we have to make sure according to tolerance that our sentences are properly phrased we use the right terminologies and that everything is politically correct but love in its purest and truest form does not have us stop think formulate and filter Now think of it like water. If the water is from a polluted source, you have to test, treat, and filter before you consume. But if water is from a pure source, you simply pour and drink. There's nothing to test. There's nothing to filter. There's nothing to remove because it's coming from a pure source. And that is what true love is. Let's go back to Imagio Dei, image of God. If we do not believe in God, which is what this lie is suggesting that we do, stop believing in God, then we either see ourselves as our own gods being independent of a creator or beings without a maker who are simply existing. The lack of belief not only means that we forfeit by virtue of our rejection of him, the powers and qualities that he has bestowed upon us, but also our purpose. And if we do not see our purpose as he has designed it, then we will see no purpose for ourselves or for the village. By doing that, we not only surrender divine purpose and divine design, but we are also giving up divine vision and foresight. With those places being vacated, the lie will fill those voids with social media, societal trends, and Hollywood. Consequently, celebrities and attention seekers become the role models, and the screen becomes the playground for our children as we seek after the things that the lie has convinced us we need. That's fine, go work for the money. I'll have the computer keep the child company. Go ahead, you work those three jobs, you need to get those six figures in. That's fine, I could just have these kids on TikTok all day. They'll just be so tuned in, they're not gonna go outside and give any trouble. So we have screens, we have digital platforms becoming babysitters. When I consider the social issues that we are plagued with today, as we have been for such a long time. Racism, injustice, inequality, violence, discrimination, dysfunctional families, the breakdown of the family unit. We tend to blame the system, and I do blame the system, but only to some extent. We need to understand why systems fail us and acknowledge it. There are conversations about how to possibly change those systems in order to affect change, but in all our planning and maneuvering, the truth is that we need to return to the basics. There isn't anything that we can invent that is greater than the one who invented us. There's nothing that we can create that can be more effective than the one who created us. Change lies in our connection to the only source of life, And if we remain disconnected from him and from each other, please tell me how on earth we can expect energy, power, or light to flow into the dark places of our society. If we disconnect ourselves from the light, where is it supposed to come from? He is the light. He is the truth, he is the way, and there is no alternative. So I'll ask you this then, are we doomed? No, we're not. The reason that there are still wonderful things taking place amid the strife and the turmoil is because there are many of us who are still connected to him, who still believe in him, who have not placated this lie or welcomed it into our homes. Despite how far the lie has spread and how many people's lives it has impacted and continues to impact, hope is still alive. Hope is still alive. We are not condemned to perpetual dysfunction and deception. But we have hope, because God can never be defeated or competed with. To have competition means that the other person is potentially your equal. That's what competition is, and there is no competition for God. There is no competition for him. He says, I am God and God alone and beside me there is no other. We're talking about a God who will order a demon to go and do something and that demon has to go do it. Because everything answers to him. Everything is subject to him. So while it may seem as though this city is going to not and it is just going to get worse and get worse, I want to tell us today that there is still hope. As long as there are those who believe, there is hope for you and for me to change the direction of our lives, to change the direction and the condition of our city by simply standing firm on God's truth. His truth that says we are not an afterthought of God, but we were designed with purpose. He was intentional in making you. He was intentional when he designed you, when he designed me. We need to stand on the truth that of ourselves we are limited, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The truth that with him all things are possible. What things? Well, things like loving my neighbor. See, when we think about all things are possible, you might think about that task that we have to do, but loving your neighbor, that's a task right there. And all of those things are possible. Loving yourself is possible through Christ. There are so many of us who are struggling to love ourselves because of a decision that we made or an experience that we had, and we have not forgiven ourselves. And there's a lie telling you you're not lovable and the only reason those people love you is because they don't know what you did but you know what you did so you cannot love yourself but that is a lie because the one who does see and know everything despite all he knows still loves you so if God loves you who are you to condemn yourself With him, all things are possible, letting go of past mistakes and overcoming personal failures, becoming a light to others, being content in whatever state you are in, discovering true happiness and fulfillment in the simplest things in life. It is possible to bounce back from your lowest point and rise up to crush the lies that told you that you were nothing that you are not worth saving, and that Christ died for everybody else except you. It is possible to rise above that. The truth still prevails and its message to us today is that the village is absolutely necessary and without it more youths will struggle and will be led away by the lie. The truth still speaks and it shows that God has people everywhere. And it shows that we will acquire everything that God says we should acquire, and we don't have to chase it now. Seek ye first the kingdom. Seek God first. Seek him first. And it's all of these things, the things that people are running down. How many people do you know who have acquired all of it? The fame, the money, the, 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 the wealth, the riches, everything, the intelligence, but they still took their lives. What does that tell us? The things that we are chasing, people who have it, are not satisfied, so what does that tell us? We need to chase after God. In closing, the truth is that we have a choice. We can continue to follow the masses that subscribe to and are loyal to the lie, watching the suicide and crime rates climb, or we can lay hold of the truth and reject the lie by daring to step out into unchartered, unforbidden waters. Joshua told the Israelites, because they were being double-minded, they kept on going back and forth, he said, choose ye this day whom you will serve. I'm not ask you to do this tomorrow, but he said today make a decision who you are going to serve and so i challenge every single one of you today with the same i challenge every single one of us to disturb the current course of things to develop the courage to look at some of these things square in the eye and say i will not die even if they threaten to throw you into a fiery furnace like the three Hebrew boys, I will not bow. I will not concede. I am not going to follow this thing because there is a God who is greater than you and greater than me. I challenge you to start with yourself and with your family. Start shaking things up. If we want to see fewer of our young people in the justice system or on the street, if we want to see less of our women disposing of their dignity, if we want to see fewer single parent families with stressed out parents, if we we want to see a decline in the high school dropout rates and a reduction in gang and gun violence, if we want to see improvement in employment equity Decrease in police and gender-based violence. I dare you to challenge the current trends and societal climate. I dare you to question today's norms. I dare you and I challenge you to look deeper into what makes our systems what they are. I challenge you to change, to let change begin with you. As a community, I challenge us to reconnect to the source of truth and power, to bring back fathers into the homes, to make self-respect and ambition the main things to be desired by our young people again, to walk away from nonsense when we see it for what it is, to give up the idolatrous nature of pop culture, to invest time in our youth, I challenge us to dispel the lies of modern society and to bring back the village. God bless you.
0: Some great thoughts from Shalene Phillips. And on our next episode, uh, we're going to have another session from the Our City Conference with E.J. Tupe. E.J. is no stranger to uh, Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. He's been on our uh, podcast more than once. And uh, he's also uh, very involved. He's the, really the uh, creator of the Our City Toronto Conference. Uh, He's for many years now been a Mission Canada urban worker in uh, downtown Toronto. On the session that he's going to bring, he's going to be talking about community exegesis. The word exegesis is a word we use in theology uh, that would um, be defined as the critical explanation or the analysis of a text and it has everything to do with uh, how we interpret the bible the question uh, for christ followers living in a city is how do we interpret the community and uh, the meaning of the community that we live in so uh, please uh, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast you can go to uh, uh, any of the uh, podcast platforms, and subscribe to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. And uh, we always release an episode on the 1st and the 15th of the month. So do come back. And uh, until that time, I'm your host, Kevin Rogers. This is Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.